Welcome to episode 429 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, February 20th, 20th, not 22nd, which I almost said. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, having a special guest episode today, joined by Rotowire Zone, Derek Van Riper. DVR, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Paul. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm surprised you're working today. It's Justin Verlander's 34th birthday. I would assume that's a, like a big holiday for you. The celebration is later. Got to get some work in, but then they got a big celebration planned. He probably won't show up for like the 34th year in a row, but I will, I will have the celebration. Charlotte and I will be ready with cake. Uh, we got the swimsuit issue just ready. You know, no, nothing, nothing, uh, off the off the beaten path there in terms of what we're doing with the uh, with the swimsuit guy. We're just gonna have it out because Kate Upton's in it again. It's, we're honoring Justin. Got a little mini Justin Verlander jersey for Charlotte. Again, we'll have the celebration, but we gotta do work first. No, nah, that's good. You gotta gotta get that in there. Hey, the the best thing I saw, by the way, uh, pertaining to the Kate Upton cover, which I think is like her third uh, already, and she's like ten years younger than than Justin Verlander, so. You know, again, good, good for on him. him. As always, it always goes back to good on him and good on her because he's awesome too. Like they're both awesome, and they're not just a, a beautiful people. They're 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 they seem to be great people. Obviously, we only know them through interviews and stuff. They could be total asshats behind the scenes, but I I genuinely enjoy both of them when I see them in interviews and things. Oh yeah, same here. And I think the thing I was I was really hoping to see was was Rick Porcello coming out and blasting the swimsuit <laughs> issue for choosing her for the cover. Like that would have that would have been outstanding. That would have been so funny. He's like, "How does I I'm not really even sure who could have who could have been another person. How does Gigi Hadid not make the cover? This is ridiculous." I thought I was, and then he could come up with his own uh, <laughs> f- funny thing to say. But you know, I, I fully support her on that, and it, it's it was tough because I actually I do like Rick Porcello um, as a former Tiger. I was a big fan. Always thought always thought he had some big time talent in him, but I just didn't think that he deserved the Cy Young over Justin. But that's all right. It's just an award. It doesn't matter. All that really matters, DVR, right, is that. I said that Justin Verlander would have a good season, and he did. Don't worry about all the calls I got wrong. Just focus on that one, which I did, in fact, get correct. Okay? Yeah, you were all over that, and for man, for the better part of the last two draft seasons, I was basically staying away from Verlander because I was worried that the uh, the core muscle injuries and the things that were starting to slow him down those last couple seasons were going to just chip away. At his skills, but you were, you were right about it. But at least you were uh, off of him for the right reasons. The, the the folks that didn't acknowledge that he was hurt was what really annoyed me. Was that they weren't they just thought he kind of was done. Like oh, Justin Verlander just stopped being good. No, he had injuries. So you had reason to say, well, yes, he had injuries, and I'm concerned that they'll continue. And that's viable. Um, I just thought that he was getting his stuff back and getting healthy, and boom, we had we had a big season. But we're not here to talk about the one thing I got right last year. We're here to talk about the Brewers, your favorite team, uh, a team that you're very familiar with uh, up there in Milwaukee. or in, You're in Madison, I believe. You're in the greater Wisconsin area, so you, you get to see plenty of Brewers. Lots to talk about on this team. I know that they're projected to be one of the bottom teams in terms of wins and losses, if you look at it. Uh, and they, you know, they, I don't actually think they're going to finish last because I think that Cincinnati team is utterly dreadful. Whereas I think there's some, there's some shining spots here on this Brewers team. So they're not, they're going to be like a 75 to 80 win team. They, they could rise up, have a few breakouts and, and maybe finish 500, but they're not going to be a playoff team, I don't think. But fantasy wise, 
is this not kind of a gem of a team that you would really want to mine some talent from, even in mixed leagues? Yeah, I think it is a gem of a team. And we, we saw Craig Council give more green lights than any other manager in the game last year by a pretty wide margin, too. He was easily the most aggressive manager. 237 stolen base attempts wow. for the Brewers last year. The Reds were second at 190. So Wow, and they have Billy Hamilton. Yeah, and then they had Hamilton, and they're going to have a, a full season of Jose Peraza this year, That's too. True. So maybe the Reds can close that gap a little bit. But as far as the Brewers go, I mean, they're they're not just a, a team of jackrabbits. They're a team of uh, kind of intriguing power guys. The Jonathan VR breakout last year, I think, caught a lot of people by surprise. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the magnitude of that breakout. People liked him for cheap steals. They didn't like him to be a guy that we were taking you know, in the second or third round of drafts the, the following season. Yeah, he rose uh, up. He rose up big time. Exactly. And, you know, the, the, there's just there's something at every position that you can get excited about. And I think from a fantasy standpoint, we're seeing reasonable auction costs. We're seeing really favorable ADPs almost across the board. Even a guy like Ryan Braun, I don't know if it's because the PEDs years ago, Health concerns with the thumb, the intercostals, those ling- lingering intercostal injuries were always pretty frustrating with Braun. I don't know what it is about him that people are, are really staying away from him for, but age he's, bias, age. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fantasy people are. I, I mentioned it once an episode, seemingly. People are afraid of age, and and it creates these pockets of value. Nelson Cruz going right by Braun. Both of them older guys, but they just keep performing at elite levels. Yeah, I think sometimes you just have players with skills that are so good across the board that the decline when it happens will be a graceful one anyway. And Nelson Cruz just keeps getting better with age, who's a late bloomer to begin with. But even Braun as the, well, now the second best fantasy commodity on the team behind Jonathan VR, I think in most people's opinion, even Braun is coming at a discount. And I think people are skeptical of VR's power. So you look at, Every player on this team, with respect to their ADP right now, could actually be a relative bargain. I, I agree. I, I, and so let's dive in. I got some questions for you. Uh, the, the way we're going to do this episode, folks, there's no transactions. So we're going to go full brewers here. Uh, we do like to lead off with a question of the day. And let's talk about a guy who, you know, probably not going to be their top producer. But if things really broke and he brought a lot of his skills over from Korea... Eric Thames could be. So I'll just ask a blanket, uh, a broad question. What are your expectations for Eric Thames after three brilliant years in, in Korea coming back over to be the uh, everyday first baseman for the Brewers? Yeah, it's it's really kind of an interesting story. I mean, three for 15 million, a pretty nice bargain signing potentially uh, for the Brewers. And he hit 348, 450, 720 over three years in <laughs> oh Korea. With 124 bombs. And, I mean, you, you, you look at some other players that have come over. It's basically two position players. Byung-Ho Park, who got hurt and scuffled last mm-hmm. year with Minnesota. No 40-man roster spot for him anymore. And Jung-Ho Gung, who on the field has been a pretty productive player for the Pirates. A nice bargain. Uh, off the field, of course, has a, a slew of issues that yeah, may to get significantly... Could, could significantly derail his career. I mean, that could that could easily happen. Like Jung Ho Gung might be gone for a little while. Like that would not be surprising. But I look at Gung's numbers before he came over, and I look at uh, Eric Thames' numbers before he came over, and they're kind of similar. Kind of just those video game looking numbers against Double A ish competition. I think that's kind of where the scouting community places uh, the Korean leagues pitching at right now. Mm-hmm. It, 
I think it creates some unique problems for for a hitter, and I think what we're going to see from Eric Thames this time around is a hitter that probably has a more discerning eye at the plate. Last time he was in the big leagues, he was not good in terms of the uh, the walks versus the strikeouts. I think that's going to improve, and in OBP leagues, he might be a little safer than he's going to be in batting average leagues, but what you're paying for is, is power. I think he can get 25 home runs playing half his games at Miller Park. It's one of the best hitter environments in all of baseball, and I look at this as a team where, because of their aggression on the base paths, too, you're going to see a contribution in steals. It might be 8, 10, or a dozen. It's not going to be 20-plus. But you know, 25 and 8 with a 265, 270 average and good on base skills in the heart of that lineup in that park, that's well worth where he's going right now in drafts. Which is like around pick 200 for Eric Thames. Uh, he's the 45th outfielder off the board. And I was actually going to bring up that speed thing. We talked about how much they ran and he actually showed some speed over in Korea, including a 40-40 season. He went 47 homers, 40 stolen bases in 2015. Now that looks maybe like something that he just wanted to do, uh, because he stole 11 and 13 on the, on the bookend years in between that. But great efficiency both times, 11 for 13, 13 for 17 last year. Add it all up, and he had an 82% success rate uh, with 64 stolen bases the last three seasons. So really, really sharp numbers there. Nobody's expecting 40, but I'm I'm not even going to rule out maybe 15. That would be kind of awesome. But again, you're getting him for power, like you said. And the beauty is, even with... Even even muting the numbers that we've seen, the translations all suggest that he's going to have that pop, even accounting for the fact that Korea is like a double-A, triple-A hybrid maybe in the middle there. Uh, you look at steamer, and projection systems that are statist- fully statistical are are cautious, right? Like they, they, don't, they don't go out and just say, this guy did this, and in double-A, he's going to be great. But all the numbers, depth charts on fan graphs say 30 homers. Steamer says 29. Zips, 26. And they all have really high uh, mid-240s ISOs, which is awesome. That's that slug minus average. So that says that the raw power is going to be there. And all three of those projection systems give them the double-digit stolen bases. So if you're getting 25 and 10, like you said, out of pick 200, even if he only hits 240, you know, that'd be a bit of a bummer, but... I would rather that, I would rather the, the 2510 with 240 than the 220 batting average and 45 homers that Chris Carter had last year. I, I, I like the, getting a little bit of speed and the better batting average between the two players. So that's kind of what they did. They basically traded Thames for, or Carter for Thames, letting Carter go ahead and, and move on. Uh, who's now signed with the Yankees and bringing in Thames who's a bit more of a dynamic player and who should be better defensively as well. So, uh, he is a lefty. Do you think he'll have platoon issues or will he, will he get a chance to actually hit against lefties as well? You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do with, with Thames and Travis Shaw because Hernan Perez should play against lefties. He's a righty. He's kind of a super utility guy with everybody healthy right now. And whether they're going to give Shaw those at bats against lefties or Thames initially, is really up in the air for me. I think it's more likely that they'd give Thames that opportunity, uh, not expose Shaw to lefties initially, and see what happens. And maybe it's a, it's a rolling plan where after the first month, if if Thames is getting exposed by lefties, then you know maybe Perez spells both of them and they try something different. Uh, maybe they end up making a minor trade. Maybe Jesus Aguilar sticks around and we see Hernan Perez and, and Aguilar both in platoons with Thames and Shaw. 
Uh, but initially, I think he's going to have an opportunity to play against lefties until he proves he can't hit them. You, may, you bring up Aaron Perez, and I actually forgot to include him uh, on our questions because we're going to do a bunch of questions for hitting and then pitching and then and then get your thoughts on a few of their prospects. Uh, so I'm going to hit you with one that's not on the rundown. Just, again, another general one. Do you buy what Aaron Perez did last year? And he only, he only needed 430 plate appearances. So even though he's not starting, he's supposed to be kind of the backup at virtually every position. Do you think there's any chance that we see another 1334, which was his homer and stolen base totals last year? Um, or, or are you nervous that, that he's going to be overdrafted because of that? What do you think on Aaron Perez? You know, I think the, the speed is something I buy into a little more than the power. I think the, the power is likely to fall to the half dozen, maybe eight home run range because the playing time compared to last year could actually slip somewhat. It really depends a lot on Thames and Shaw and the help of the outfielders. And I think with, with Perez, I mean, the success rate as a base dealer was pretty high. 34 for 41 Absolutely. last year. All the reason in the world to keep giving a guy a green light if he's you know, successful 83% of the time. The question I have with Perez, though, is like if you scale back the playing time, do you want to get an eight homer, 25 steal guy at pick 167? Is that enough in a mixer when he's probably not going to fall into an everyday playing time situation? I mean, they have outfield prospects where if they lose any of their outfielders, they've got more, more uh, high pedigree guys that they could certainly slot in if they wanted to. So I just wonder if they view him as only a part-time player and last year is a ceiling for playing time volume with a likelihood that he just slips off from that no matter what happens to some of the players around him. That's exactly where I'm at with, with, with Aaron Perez, and I'm not I'm not paying the premium to see what's what. Those numbers are going to jump out to some folks. Like Again, 13 homers, 34 stolen bases, and wow, he only did that in 430 plate appearances, so I'll go ahead and take him. I would be careful. I would be very cautious. I think you're going to get 20 stolen bases, but they, they could be pretty empty otherwise. Be careful there. Uh, he, he does look like somebody more that you keep an eye on if you're in a 10 or 12 team mixer. And, you know, he could, he'll get drafted, but he could get cut early if he's not playing in April. And then maybe you pick him back up, uh, off the wire if playing time opens. But like you said, you name the two guys, uh, Thames and Shaw. Both newcomers that really curb a lot of his potential playing time at first and third. They have Jonathan VR obviously now shifting over to second permanently and then Orlando Arcia, who I'd like to talk about as well. But we're going to, we're going to talk about VR first. We're going to jump into these hitting questions. What does Jonathan VR do for an encore? You mentioned that he's like a second rounder right now. I'm completely comfortable with it because I believe in a lot of the skills that he has. I think our backslides that the speed is enough. And I love the fact that he's always had a discerning eye at the plate to where he can take, uh, he can take a walk and, and keep that OBP good, even if the batting average falls back from 285. Uh, because he did, he did need a big BABIP to do that. Although, when you have a speed guy, you you can kind of maintain a higher batting average on balls in play. So I'm not even sure that that falls back. But let's just assume that it does. Let's say he, he falls back to a 340 batting average on balls in play, and he's not making up for it with, with infield hits, and so he's hitting more of a 260. That'd be a 25-point drop in his batting average. I don't know that he's going to have a, a major drop in his OBP to go with it because he's he, – 10% walk rate for his career, 12% last year. So I think the speed's going to be there. It's just a matter of you're going to get 19 homers, you're going to get 12. For me, even if it fell all the way back to like 12, 
I'll take 12, 50, and 260. That would not be one of my top outcomes, of course, for a second round pick, but I don't think that that kills me if I get that from VR. What do you expect to see out of him at age 26 coming in, uh, coming off that brilliant year last year? I just think it's funny with, with Jonathan VR, there seems to be this belief that he is somehow a lot more risky than Trey Turner. I think they're kind of equally risky. I mean, Turner's probably got a better hit tool where Long term, if you expect someone to hit 300 over a full season, you choose choose Turner over VR every time. No exceptions. Mm -hmm. I think you can cut the home run total in half and still have a player in VR that's a lot like Starling Marte was a year ago from a fantasy standpoint, but probably with more stolen base upside. I mean, 62 steals last year. And again, like Hernan Perez, VR had a 77% success rate. He's going to keep running. Like, there's there's no reason. 72s break even. So they're, 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 Craig Council's looking at his metrics there and saying, you keep going. You have the full green light. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason to think that that number is coming down by a lot if it comes down at all. So I, I look at, at VR as a really safe player for speed uh, in a situation where if you're in a mixed league especially, it's it's harder than it has been over the past 20 years to get steals. Last year in 2015 looked uh, identical from a stolen base per game standpoint, and I think it's one of the lowest periods in, in stolen bases per game that we've seen since like the 70s so it's kind of a strange time wow. in the game right now and if you want to be at or near the top of steals in your rotisserie league you need to find bags somewhere the other thing that's appealing though about jonathan vr's while the power may come down the brewers seem to have something going on right now maybe it's a one-year bit of noise but they are a team that has a, a lot of guys with pretty high home run to flat ball rates. Miller Park certainly contributes towards that. But I think there's something going on with what they're instructing hitters to do, where they might be lofting the ball in a way that you know, gives them some extra swing and miss, because there's plenty of swing and miss up and down the lineup. But it mm-hmm. also increases the chances of connecting, barreling up a ball, and sending one of the bleachers. It just it, It's kind of weird. You see it with uh, Keon Broxton, Domingo Santana, Jonathan Villar. They're all kind of high K-rate guys, but when they get a hold of one, they drive it a long way. So, again, maybe it's a one-year blip, but I'm kind of buying into you know, VR as a quirky player that has a high ground ball rate, but a guy that also saw a spike in home run to fly ball based on what some of his teammates have been able to do too. Yeah, I, I actually agree there, and I do think a lot of what we saw in the home run spike is player influenced. Sure, there's the definitely the weather, and I I do think that the ball was probably tighter than than what it what it had been, but I think a lot of it is player in, induced. They're they're using the Statcast data to figure out launch angles, and they're learning. And teams are instructing. Teams are taking it. You take a team like uh, the Brewers, who are stat oriented with David Stearns at the helm and his front office and they're taking the data and they're saying here this is easily digestible launch angle everyone understands that all, all the hitters understand that that's not some you know next level thing uh, that they can't get their minds around they know what launch angle is and if they're being taught hey you do this one click with your with your swing here on, on a 2-0 count when you know you're going to get that meatball you're going to hit a lot more homers and boom it start it starts to transcend the entire league so I agree with you I don't even think that he's necessarily a major power power risk, but that speed is so good for VR that even if it does fall off, I think you're set. Starling Marte is a great name to mention there because I do think that that's a comparable player that we do take early all the time. And if you add in the position flexibility of VR in the infield, that makes him a little bit uh, a little bit better than, than Marte, and that's why he goes a little bit ahead. 
Yeah. Let's go to his, uh, let's go to his keystone mate there, Orlando RC, the hot prospect on the team. Got a little taste of the majors last year, 216 plate appearances. Wasn't bad from the fantasy counting number standpoint, four homers, eight stolen bases that, uh, would, would extrapolate out to like a, a 12, 24 season over a full season. Obviously we don't play that game where we just say, well, that's what you're guaranteed to get. But that's the kind of guy that I think people were expecting anyway. Somebody who has a little bit of punch in his bat, but you're really getting for speed. Obviously, if he hits 219 the whole season the way he did last year, then uh, all of it goes to pot. But we're not expecting that either. He's going to be 22 years old. He has a taste of the majors. Is he ready to be a mixed league asset, especially now that shortstop and second base, not that he plays second base, but both middle infield positions are um, have some depth to them. So the the, the bar is higher can Arcia at age 22 in his first full season be a mixed league asset? You know, I think Orlando Arcia, if you're in a 12-team league that has a reasonably deep bench, like seven-man benches, he's probably worth taking a flyer on one of those bench spots. That's that's about okay. where I'm drawing the line. I think he could be the kind of player that you have to cut early in a league like that. Part of the appeal for me with him is that the Brewers' lineup construction is somewhat up in the air. The number two hitter in particular is one question spot for Craig Council. And if Arcia hits like he did in the minors, and that's it's a stretch, but not out of the question, I think he can be the guy that emerges to uh, get up there in front of Ryan Braun, possibly right behind Jonathan VR, have some RBI opportunities, and it also kind of benefit from the quality of those power bats potentially behind him with better run scored total. That'd be a hell of a spot. Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. If you think back to the Gene Segura first breakout season with Milwaukee. I think the thing that opened up a spot for him near the top of the order was like a Nori Aoki injury early in the season. The plan was for Segura to hit eighth that year. And I think within the first week or two of the regular season, Aoki or somebody else in that team got hurt. Segura started hitting at top of the order. Things were totally different once he was producing and he went on to have just a monster sort of year. I mean, Arcia to me as a prospect has maybe a little less power then Segura, but probably a slightly better hit tool long-term. It's just a matter of when he's going to tap into it. So I think in a 12-team league, he's kind of fringy, more of a bench consideration. I like the fact that as a very young player for his level, everywhere he hit in the minor leagues, he maintained a very low K rate. I think it's just going to be a couple of years before we start to see uh, some of the power developed into like the 12 to 15 home runs at his peak. I think maybe eight homers this year. And the value may hinge entirely on how much he runs. But in this offense, I mean, if you have a guy that has the ability to steal some bases, he was 8 for 8 last year in 55 games. I think he was 15 for 23 at AAA in 100 games. There might be a cheap 20 or 25 bags with Arcia this year, even if he doesn't push his way up higher in the order. Exactly. All right, Derek, next up is a guy that you've already mentioned that I'm really intrigued by, but I just don't know what to make. And so the question is, can Keon Broxton make enough contact to be a stud? He's got power and speed, but is he going to, you know, hit 210 and be be making that uh, shuttle back and forth between – are you guys the, – the Brewers still have Colorado Springs, unfortunately, as their AAA? Yeah. Is he going to be shuttling back and forth between the two, uh, or can he can he maintain? He's going to be 27. This is the year he's got – can he break out? Keon Broxton, what do you think? You know, the problem I see with Broxton is – the swing and miss in his game is more than what you see from some of the other players we've talked about. 36.1% last year. He's already 26. He'll turn 27 during the first week of May. Uh, this is a guy they got for Jason Rogers, who I don't think is even on a roster 
anymore, and he was blocked in Pittsburgh, so that's probably part of the reason why they were able to get such a discount on him. Uh, I think the problem that Broxton faces is if he scuffles, Lewis Brinson may not be far away from taking over a job in the big leagues. And I think when you look at some of the other positions, there's a little less competition, especially on the infield, for some guys like Shaw and, and Thames, where with Broxton, a lot can go wrong with his playing time. And the ADP seems to be a little bit juiced up. I mean, for what he could do, there's still that relative value. Pick 185 right now is his NFBC ADP. You can take a chance on him and find out if it's actually legit and it's not going to crater your team. But I think you do have to be realistic about his actual downside. I mean, even last year with those cheap steals he was providing, he was 23 for 27, another guy with a great success rate. He hit 242 while doing it, 354 on base. I just wonder if the if the K rate starts to surge up closer to 40%, if that's enough for the Brewers to pull the plug, especially if Brinson's tearing it up at AAA. Yep. I I mean, I, I completely agree. It, it is it is worrisome because, I mean, he is at a level of, of strikeout that, you know, you reserve for, for Chris Carter, for, for, you know, major power guy where you say, okay, we can excuse it because he's going to hit 40 bombs. Well, I mean, Broxton could maybe hit 25 in a full season at the high end, but that's not enough to absorb a 36% strikeout rate. So maybe what he would be better served doing is saying, listen, I don't need to hit so many bombs. It's fun to hit home runs. I'm sure, I'm sure it's awesome to hit home runs, but maybe bring it back a little bit, make yourself a little bit more contact focused, hit 270 with maybe 12 homers, but steal 45 bases and you're still a stud player that's about to get paid. You know, you can, you can start getting yourself paid in your late twenties, early thirties. I think maybe he just, you know, and it's hard. I understand, you know, age 27 season, you don't usually see a complete renovation of a player's skill set. So that's why it's probably unlikely that he's going to do that. Um, and like you said though, the, the, the real key here is that his ADP suggests that he actually has to do something. It, it, it's not a free and clear where you're like, Oh, pick 189 or 185, whatever said uh it's not where you can just say well i don't need him to do anything that's you know anything in the top 200 you have some expectation of a player so if he completely busted that would be a bummer so i guess uh the the point here is be a little bit cautious on keon broxton don't get too don't get too crazy with it if i recall correctly was keon broxton not a big spring training guy last year uh giving us exhibit five billion seven hundred twenty eight jillion of why spring training numbers uh are are not worthless. I, I know that there's been studies that say they're not worthless, but that they're remarkably misleading. Or do I have that wrong? Did, did Broxton not have a good one last year? You know, I think he, he stood out a little bit as a as a base stealer. He had six steals last spring, okay. and people probably got excited about that. Um, the the biggest cautionary aspect of Broxton's profile, if you drill down deeper, you know, beyond K rate, is just that he hit 179 against four seamers. He only slugged 308 against four-seam fastballs, and what? this is a guy that has the ability to hit the ball really hard. He can generate a lot of power on his own, but it seems like premium velocity eats him up, and that's, to me, a pretty big red flag uh, if you're trying to bank on a guy holding a job all season. That doesn't mean he can't improve, but it's it's a problem. That, that, that's how you get quad A. Yeah, that's how you become a quad A guy, that, that, that phrase that people talk about, uh, where you can be a quad A guy. It's, it's because... You can't hit speed because usually guys can hit speed and they have to learn the secondary stuff. So they eat up fastballs, but then guys just say, okay, here's change up sliders and, and curveballs all day. Uh, you're not going to do anything against this. Well, he, he looks like he's the opposite and that's not where you really want to be. 
uh, if you're Keon Broxton. So I, I don't, I don't love, I don't love that that's, that's what we're dealing with, with Keon Broxton. Um, yeah, I'm looking now. I, I had it wrong, obviously. He, he, he did steal some base. I thought he had a big spring training. Maybe it was, maybe it was 2015 that he did, but I, I, I thought at some point, or, Maybe even he started off hot and then and then fell apart. But uh, I thought I remembered him having a big. You know, it might have been Socrates Brito. I kind of mixed those two up. So maybe Socrates Brito had a big spring training at some point that I'm that I'm overrating. But either way, I, I was wrong. That's that's all. That's all that really matters is that Paul was wrong again. No big deal. All right, next question. It's actually the same question, but it's for a different guy. Can. Domingo Santana make enough contact to have a stud season because he's another guy that it's easy to kind of fall in love with. He's a stat cast darling. There's a lot to like. Now he crushes the ball. He's got, he's got a bit more of the pop that I was talking about earlier that you can accept a 30 something strikeout rate, but you know, you, you want to be on the other side of 30 to really project a breakout unless you're that, that established stud. What are your thoughts on Domingo Santana and his contact ability? Yeah, see, comparatively speaking, I trust Santana more than Broxton, and not just because the K rate was a tick lower last year, but because Santana crushes fastballs. He slugged 608 against four seamers, hit 297, uh, and he did that last year with a bad shoulder. Played about a half season because of all the injuries he was dealing with a year ago. So I look at Domingo Santana as a much safer player. I'm surprised that Keon Broxton goes so much earlier. I think it's part of the general approach in the pool of fantasy players right now to go just hog wild over stolen base guys. But for me, I look at Domingo as a guy you're getting after pick 200 who could pretty easily get you 20 homers, probably gets you closer to 25 with a full season's worth of at-bats and gives you a non-zero steals contribution, maybe a half dozen bags to go along with it. And thinking about the framework of the Brewers lineup, he could also be the kind of guy that ends up hitting higher in the order than we expect right now. Maybe they hit Santana leadoff and hit VR second to uh, break up a couple righties in Santana and Ryan Braun. Something along those lines could happen. So I could see things going right more easily for Santana with that ability to just crush big league heat. That would be awesome. I I, I like him. And I think another factor that you mentioned that we continue to talk about with the speed is that this is another guy we haven't seen it really much in the majors yet he's only six for ten um in in his career but he's not a slow guy domingo santana does have some speed so if things are going right right now that's the last thing on his mind is stealing bases he's trying to get himself regular playing time by hitting the ball but i think if he fell into uh, a groove where he was comfortable and he was making advancements in his age 24 season then the speed would come and you could maybe even sneak double digits so if you're going 20 20 and 10 with a 260 average uh at, at where you're getting Santana which as you mentioned is actually behind both Thames and Broxton at pick 265 sign me up all day for that i do i do like Domingo Santana and i love him at the price particularly over Broxton all right our last hitter question is about the catcher. Now, this is a deep league consideration for sure, and and you and I play in a lot of two catcher leagues, so that's why it's really uh, a concern for us. A lot of folks only play one catcher league, so they they're not even on the radar for these two guys. But Jet Bandy or Andrew Susak, who do you like better uh, out in Milwaukee? Who can and whoever you choose, can they be a fantasy asset in those two catcher leagues that we like to play? Yeah, I think for me, I'm on Team Susak right now. Uh, they're they're pretty similar in terms of of you know what they've done to this point in their limited opportunities. And Bandy had a longer run of playing time last season than Susak has ever had. But with Jet Bandy, I'm just not a believer in part because most of the production he's had 
as a minor league hitter uh, has come at like what Rancho Cucamonga mm-hmm. in the California League and then Salt Lake in the PCL. And I think everything in between at Double A wasn't as impressive. I, I don't. I just don't look at him as a guy that's going to be uh, even like an average hitter in the big leagues. Whereas Susak, I think he goes back a little further when we start looking at Andrew Susak, you kind of forget like he spent some time. Uh, just getting overshadowed in dynasty leagues because he had no path in San Francisco. He's a former second round pick, uh, back in 2011. Uh, he has shown an ability at, in the minor leagues at, at various stops to, to hit at, at a level that I'm a lot more kicking that. For. If it doesn't work out with either one of these guys in a two catcher league, you probably have a, a plan C that you're going to lean on. You might even draft these guys as your third catcher in case you have a shaky second option and hope that between your second option and you know Andrew Susak or Jet Bandy that one of them comes through. But if I'm taking that flyer, it's Susak. I think he can get the K rate down a bit. We've seen that at AAA during his time there the last couple seasons. Uh, you know we've seen it also at AA. I think he's going to be a guy that K's maybe 24, 25 percent of the time uh, at most over a full season in the big leagues. And I think there is potential for low double-digit home run power if he ends up winning the job outright. Yeah, I, I actually fully agree with you on that. Um, I'm kind of interested in Susek as a C2. I usually wait on my second catcher in, in most leagues, and you know it can get ugly quickly, and I don't think that Susek's really on the radar too much. I agree with you that, that Jet Bandy's actually getting more love, and I'm not sure that, that he necessarily should be. Maybe it's the name. Jet Bandy sounds like a cool name, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more in on Susak. I think he's a better catch and throw guy too, which will certainly help. When you have a young team, you want the guy who's a little bit better at catch and throw, um, you know, to bring along a team. Not that they have a bunch of young starters, but just, just you want that stability behind the dish to kind of maximize every avenue of what you're doing when you're a team that's, that's more, uh, rebuilding than as opposed to already set in stone. All right, let's talk about that pitching then. Um, and let's start with, with a guy who was really impressive as an age 31 rookie last year, Junior Guerra. How good is Junior Guerra in your estimation, Derek? I think he's kind of like a number four starter that just had an amazing year last year. I mean, uh, the K rate's going to be decent. Uh, the walk rate last year was up over three per nine. I think that's going to be a problem if he doesn't start to cut that down. FIP's a good guide from last year. 376 mm-hmm. FIP is, is probably more in line with the ERA, I would expect. I, t- I took him in the FSTA draft a few weeks ago. It's a 13-team mixed league. I was after round 20, and the belief I have there is he's an easy streamer. He's the kind of guy I can cut if it's not going well. Uh, he's got a decent amount of job security, at least to begin the season. So I, I'm willing to roll the dice and see if in select spots if he can pick on Teams like Cincinnati, maybe Pittsburgh at PNC is a matchup that I like for him. You can mix yep. and match him a little bit. Not necessarily for all of his home starts, though. That's that's part of the problem. Miller Park being such a hitter-friendly environment. He was great there last year, but I'm a little hesitant to throw him in at home against some of the, the better run-producing teams, especially in division. Like, I mean, like St. Louis. Yeah, you don't want the Cubs coming into town. Oh, the Cubs for sure, but even like St. Louis. I don't, I don't know if I trust Junior Guerra home against St. Louis, so... It's got to be more of a streaming situation for me. I, I don't want to have to turn to this guy every time he's got the ball. I know in NL Labor, for example, you can't take a guy out of your active lineup unless he's on the DL or sent to the minors. I I certainly don't want to just have Garrett in there for whatever number of starts he gets to make this year. But I, I think his job security is pretty good to begin the year. 
I, I agree uh, with virtually everything you said there about Guerra. I think it, he's so cheap, too, that the expectations can be low. There is some legitimate stuff there. I love that split finger. And he has decent velo. He he, he sits 93, so he can work it up to 95. Uh, there is something there, but it's not necessarily something that you just set and forget. It was just 122 innings of, of Major League work. It's not like we're set in stone that this guy's this guy's a beast. But I do think he's he's worth something and, and agree with you that FIP is a good indicator. So look for something in the 3.5 to 3.8 range out of Junior Guerra. He could increase the strikeout rate, though, too. He was at 7.4 last year, but his swinging strike rate suggests that there maybe even is a little bit more there. And so if he amplified the strikeouts, then you could take the, the higher ERA and probably an elevated whip from what he had last year. Uh, that, that would It would ease taking those on uh, as well. So I do like Junior Guerra as well. Uh, what about Zach Davies? Does he build on a solid uh, 2016 there? Because... We had our own Eno Sayers here writing about who could be the next Kyle Hendricks kind of based on what they do with contact management, not overpowering sort of guys. It was, it was one of those sorts of things. And he highlighted Zach Davies as a guy who, who maybe could be that kind of guy. That doesn't mean that, you know, he's going to go have the amazing season that, that, uh, that, that Kyle Hendricks did, but he's a contact management guy. That, that's what we're calling these guys now that, that they really contribute to the weak contact that they induce and they win with command and control uh, and, and some decent secondary stuff. How do you feel about Zach Davies going into his age 24 season? You know, if you compare him to Guerra, I like him slightly more than Guerra. I think he's a okay. top 350 overall player. The control as a skill is something I think he definitely owns. I think the, the question I have with Davies is can he find a way to generate more swings and misses. You know, I, I think if, if, the, if you put the ratios uh, out there and you said someone's going to get Junior Guerra's ratios in the Brewers' rotation this year, Davies would be the guy you'd go after for sure because he doesn't hurt himself with bad pitches very often. Uh, 20 homers last year in 28 starts, 163 in the third innings, so big flies on occasion, but he has shown an ability in the past to get even more ground balls than he was getting last year. So if he can continue to work the zone... Uh, keep guys on top of the ball. That's going to be something that I think does allow him to maybe cheat FIP a little bit. And doing that trick in Milwaukee especially is going to have a, a very short list of fantasy owners interested because it's hard, it's hard to like stomach it. it. It looks, it's jarring on paper to see, Certainly. you know, Colorado or what they open Colorado it seems like every year. But you see right? some of these, these big bopper teams <laughs> coming in and you're like, Zach Davies doesn't really like throw that hard. And I don't know. I don't really trust him. I trust him more than Guerra, and I think he's kind of like a number three starter. That's kind of what Kyle Hendricks is typically, like his his set of skills. Tanner Roark's kind of like that too. I think Davies is more likely to give you like a Tanner Roark type season than a, than a Kyle Hendricks one, but that's really not that different. And more likely than not, we're not going to see it in 2017, but maybe we do see it in 2018. Yeah, I... I... Again, fully agree with you here. There's not a lot of uh, dissent on some of these. We see eye-to-eye on these pitchers uh, based on what they're able to do. But don't sleep on Zach Davies. He could be a nice a nice asset at the back end of your rotation. And he could also be a sneaky guy in N- in NL only because I think he's going to give you the innings too. And so even if you are kind of getting – even if you get a repeat of what he did last year, 397 ERA, you know who I might feel comfortable kind of pairing him with and, and, and you add the two together and you see what it is. I think we're going to get innings out of Davies, right? I think he's going to be a 180-plus guy. So think about pairing him with like a Rich Hill and you kind of smash those two together – and, 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 you know, you give some of the, basically take some of the innings from Davies and sh- shove them over to Hill and you take some of the great ratio of Hill and you shove it over to Davies and you kind of split the two and it's two quality pitchers. So 
I like, uh, I like the idea of, of seeing guys in pairs or, or, or just even your rotation as a whole and how the pieces fit together as opposed to just taking blindly who the, who the highest ADP guy is. You kind of put your pieces together. I think innings will be one of Davies' best assets and he should have a solid whip. The 125 last year, that totally works. Um, and it, it, it portends better than a 397 ERA as well. So I agree with that. So I, I think what we do with pitchers sometimes is we underrate the ability to get 175 or 180 innings with, with relative ease. And I think yeah. Zach Davies is going to do that. Uh, and how that influences like good but not great ratios. It's a lot like how we overlook batting average with hitters and even run scored to an extent. But really it's more like batting average for hitters where we just kind of, I don't know, we kind of fail as a group of fantasy players sometimes to to value these players properly when they're they're not standout, but they're just really solid. I like the idea of pairing him with Rich Hill. Suddenly, I, I've become this guy that has Rich Hill everywhere. Yeah, I'm gonna be that guy because I'm I'm falling in love with him more and more. So I know, blisters are like a real thing that, that can happen mm-hmm. a lot. If if you're old and your circulation's bad, you could be more susceptible to them. And he's he's 36, and you know someone was saying, well. The Dodgers have, have made mistakes with these multi-year deals with other pitchers that are kind of injury-prone. Like, yeah, they have, but Rich Hill's doing some stuff or did some stuff last year that Brandon McCarthy never did. You know, Brett Anderson never did that. Scott Casimir never put up numbers quite like what Rich Hill exactly. was doing last season. So at the price he's going for, which is right around the same ADP as Aaron Sanchez, like I, I don't see Rich Hill as being any more risky to be a good fantasy starter this year than Aaron Sanchez. Here's all you really need to know. Uh, maybe not all you really need to know, but something that you should really keep in mind. Even with 110 innings, that this, you know, that's all we're looking at is, is the innings here. Even with that, he was the 22nd starter on ESPN's player Raider last year. And they do count the volume things like wins. Now they don't, they don't necessarily factor in the innings, and so he gets the 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 nice boost for his ERA and WHIP. But you know, K's the more K's you have, of course, rises you up. Same with wins, and he he doesn't get a great number in their formula for strikeouts. He only gets a one point two four. Compare that to somebody like Tanner Roark, who didn't have a huge strikeout rate but pitched a ton of innings. He had a one ninety five. Uh, 1.95, I should say. So he was the 22nd pitcher in their player rater ahead of guys like Steven Strasburg, Danny Duffy, Julio Tehran, like really good pitchers because they were, he was so great with his ratios in those 110 innings that even if that's all you get again, I think he's a plus asset. I, I, I just, I don't underrate what those, what the, those ratios can do for you, even in smaller volume. And then if you happen to get 150 innings, well, that could be, I mean, that could be, those extra 40 innings could be such a game changer with Rich Hill that I'm definitely willing to invest. The, 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 the talent's been elite. Health is a concern, but we're baking that in too, because if he, if we knew he was going to go 150 innings, then he'd be like the, I don't know, 10th pitcher off the board. The fact is we don't know that. So he's the 29th pitcher off the board in NFBC leagues right now. I, th- I think some of the risk is already built in. So you don't have to do a secondary measure where you say, well, now I have to take him down another five pitchers. No, it's, it's built in. I think you should feel comfortable drafting Rich Hill. But if you're in a league with me, you should feel uncomfortable and let me just take him. I'd, I'd, I'd rather you do that. I, I like pairing him with the top shelf aces too. I mean, yes. Because you, you get more innings typically from Kershaw. Scherzer's got the finger thing right now. So maybe that's off. For this year, Bumgarner, uh, maybe Cindergaard's going to be a 210 inning guy. I, I hope I hope he is. I, I hope I hope Tom House is just wrong about Cindergaard. Kluber, 
as well, where you, you go heavy with that first pitcher and you wait a while to get your second and your third, Hill's like ideal for a situation like that. I, I completely agree. If, if you have that inning stud, just get an inning stud somewhere. If it's not your first guy, then then jump back in on the Zach Greinke train because I feel comfortable that if he's healthy, I know he only had 158 last year, but before that he was a rock-solid innings guy for sure. Jose Quintana is getting 200 like clockwork. That's another great pairing if you wanted to wait on your pitcher and go Quintana Hill on like a back-to-back pick or something. Um, I it can work very well if you if you do it right with Rich Hill to where you maximize the 120 innings that you that you might get from him. Um, let's talk about another Brewers pitcher. This one's going to probably be off the radar NL only sort of guy, but Willie Peralta, good old Wiley, when he came back after f- missing nearly two months with injury, uh, he came back on August 9th and he was great down the stretch. Ten starts of a 2.92 ERA over 61 and two thirds innings, allowed 55 hits, 16 walks. 51 strikeouts, uh, seven homers, three of which were in one game, and that was a seven and two thirds solid outing, actually four runs uh, against the Cubs. But I, uh, so it looks like three solo shots, perhaps. He was really, really good, and this was a guy I had some love for back a couple years ago, after a 2014 season that was really nice. Thought, hey, we're gonna start to see some stuff here. He's got nasty stuff. Nothing. Th- he can't throw it straight if he tried, um, and he's got velocity to go with it. So. I'm a slightly intrigued by Willie Peralta. Health is obviously a concern, but when he was healthy, he finished the year healthy, which I like, and he looked sharp. Any chance at, at some mixed league viability or, or are, you, are you putting a little star for him for NL? How do you feel about Willie Peralta this year? I kind of like him for NL, uh, but again, I want the flexibility of being able to take him out for starts I don't like, and I think the that's the, fair. The big problem he's always had is that third pitch. I mean, the fastball has got yep. the, the movement and the velo you're looking for. The slider can be really good. It's the changeup and getting the feel for that changeup that's going to kind of make or break him as a big league starter. So it's got to be a really deep league. I, I like what he did down the stretch last year. I'm more intrigued to see what happens if they put him in the bullpen. We might not be far from that. If he goes through another half season where he's posting an ERA in the high fours, low fives, it might be bullpen time for Willie Peralta. And that's going to be fun. I, I fully agree on that too. If he if he doesn't come through, if he does, and you're right, it is that changeup. If you just look at his career, he's got an 818 OPS against lefties, 707 against righties. I mean, he's missing that third pitch, and it is the changeup. Third time through is also an issue uh, for him. So maybe relief is is the way to go if the changeup doesn't come along, and then he dips into that bullpen. And all of a sudden, hey, I know they signed Neftali Feliz, but. You know, Peralta could be the guy to take the ninth inning role, or maybe he's that two inning guy who can get through, you know, six, seven, eight hitters, um, and, and give you the, the, the big relief innings where, where you're approaching 90 innings as a reliever and getting a bunch of strikeouts. Maybe he can be like a fireman in the middle, but I agree. If it doesn't work out this year, if they finally say, listen, you're just not a, a quality enough starter and he goes to the bullpen, I think he's got a perfectly viable second act there but i will be taking him in some super deep mixers or nl only leagues for sure i do like uh i do like willie peralta let's talk about the rest uh what 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 do you make of matt garza chase anderson jimmy nelson who's your favorite you have any love for them uh in anything but nl only or even nl only you might not like any of them how do you feel about that about that mixed bag of of interesting names no it's just been so long since matt garza has given us even a remotely useful k rate instead we get his views on abstinence which i never want to hear <laughs> again in my life so i have no interest in matt garza 
whatsoever. I think Chase Anderson, he's got that change up. We saw him at the Fall League four years ago, I think, now. And yeah, long time ago now. It, just, it doesn't seem like he's been able to really work the rest of the arsenal in a way where he can max out the value of that pitch. But kind of like Willie Peralta, he did pitch well down the stretch. And I do wonder, I'll have to look at the splits a bit more closely, if he's one of those guys that gets just pounded uh, the third time through the order. Maybe he could sneak he through, go five and fly, uh, turn the game over to the bullpen. But then that's a real-life value. That's not necessarily a fantasy value because when you're leaving games that early, you're not piling up wins. Uh, the ratios, again, aren't going to be as useful because – if you do improve those ratios, you're providing them over 160 innings as opposed to 180 or 185. So I'm not really in on Chase Anderson. Uh, and then Jimmy Nelson, I think he was just hurt last year. I mean, I, I didn't think people were crazy for looking at what he was doing uh, back in 2015 and thinking, hey, maybe there's kind of like a, a Garrett Richards sort of surge in this guy. Right. It didn't happen. Uh, it, it was completely the opposite. He went the wrong direction. I I. I didn't think he was going to fall apart last year, but now he's a complete puzzle to me. And kind of like Willie Peralta, you know, we're going on three seasons, really two full ones and a partial one in 2014 where he's been in that rotation. He's failed to crack the four ERA barrier. The whip hasn't been good. As they start to find other starters, the young guys on the farms have to come up. I think Jimmy Nelson of the bullpen is becoming a little more realistic too. Yeah, and they've got some older guys who, you know, are probably just holding spots right now, like a job at Chamberlain, Carlos Torres. They're not long for this team. They're not going to be on the next good team. Uh, so, you know, either they perform and they get moved for, for like a D level prospect in season to help reinforce somebody else's bullpen and then they open up spots for these guys or they're not good and they just get cut. So they'll, they, they, they could have some flexibility in their bullpen to push these guys in. In fact, right now, roster resource doesn't even have Jimmy Nelson on the 25 man. They, they, they go Guerra, Garza, Anderson, Davies, Peralta with Nelson and AAA. So that, that's how they feel about him right now. And again, that's just kind of their assessment based on everything right now. Um, so Nelson could definitely be having his clock tick as well going into his age 28 season. Speaking of that bullpen, looked like Corey Kniebel might be the guy to get the job, and then they went out and signed Neftali Feliz. Is Neftali Feliz a sneaky, solid closer option? He really got his stuff back together last year. How do you feel about Feliz closing out the games uh, in Milwaukee? I'm on board. I mean, I think the one thing that was bizarre for him last year, the home run to fly ball really spiked up almost 20%. Yeah, very weird. That seems like an outlier. The the velo's back. I mean, the velo coming back gives me a lot of optimism. 28% K rate uh, was his best, really, since he was a rookie back in 2009 with Texas. So I, I like it. I think the ADP is going to jump maybe 100 spots is, is between now and the end of draft season. But that would put him around pick 230, pick 240. I'm more than happy to take Neftali Feliz in that spot. If I'm waiting on closers, he's my second option. I don't feel great about it, but he's ideally suited for leagues where you want to have three. Yep. Uh, again, full agree here. I just don't have anything to push back because you nailed it. 28% strikeout rate. The stuff is back. Yeah, he still walks guys. He, he kind of did that for every year, but his first two when he really broke out, uh, I could even see him maybe chiseling into that 10% walk rate too. And so, you know, if he, if he's keeping the ball in the yard, I, just don't see any way a 19% homer to fly ball ratio sticks for him. So bring his, bring his home runs back down. 
bad teams get get saves too and again i don't think this team is completely like 60 win garbage i think they're they're more in the low 70s and can mess around into the high 70s maybe even uh you know 81 81 if if if, if several things would have to break for that but again they're in that low 70s they're going to have 45 save opportunities or 40 save opportunities and he could get you know 35 saves so i, I do like neftali fleas and he has the strikeouts Go out there and, and get them, if, especially if you like to wait on saves. All right, let's wrap up with some prospects here. Uh, this is a team that has a lot of younger prospects. They they know that they're not necessarily on the cusp just yet. They're probably this year off, and then maybe next year is when they start to get excited, and then 19 is when they, they're really hoping to pop probably based on the prospects that they have. But they do still have some knocking on the door, including one that we've talked about, their number one guy, Lewis Brinson, who is going to force – a, a Keon Broxton and even a Domingo Santana. Both those guys are on notice. If one of them fails, uh, miserably and has to get sent back down, that's to hope, that's because Brinson's there. If Brinson wasn't there, they would have a longer leash, but instead he's knocking on the door. There's another guy too, Brett Phillips, uh, who they got from Houston. Again, David Stearns formerly working there. No surprise that he was, uh, interested in somebody like Brett Phillips. He's knocking on the door. Those are the two big hitter guys uh, that could come up this year. And then on the pitching side, Josh Hader and then Jorge Lopez, a guy who, boy, he could not have been more displeased with the fact that the Brewers got stuck with Colorado Springs last year because it completely tanked his season. I had some love for him coming in and, and he just couldn't get right. And I, I mean, I don't even know how much I blame him because of that environment. But let's focus on the hitters first, then the pitchers. Brinson and Phillips, uh, what's their impact look like for, for 17? I think Brinson is, you know, a 2020 guy in the making. It might be with a middling or kind of average batting average. You know, maybe he's a 250 guy in the long run. But once he comes up, if it's June, maybe we see 10 to 12 homers. I think we could see 10 bags pretty easily in three to four months. He gets that opportunity. Uh, to me, he's a lot safer than Brett Phillips, believe it or not. Uh, Phillips had a, a pretty bad year at Double A last year. K rate spiked to nearly 30%. He looked lost in the fall league. I know he's got a, a pretty good, pretty good mentality about him. It seemed like he mm-hmm. was making some adjustments. He was tweeting about that a week or so ago. Uh, in addition to eating a lot more tacos this offseason, he's been making mechanical adjustments <laughs> to his swing, which are needed. And he, I think the the weird thing was someone tweeted at Lance McCullers and asked McCullers if he should trade Brett Phillips in his dynasty league. And then Phillips like saw it, jumped in, was like, many people would tell you to trade me right now, but I've been eating more tacos and working on my swing. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing about Brett Phillips, if you have him in a dynasty league right now and you're not going to throw him back, you can wait it out, see what happens at Colorado Springs. As much as it destroys pitchers, it certainly helps hitters. Absolutely. Maybe it's the adjustments. Maybe it's just the altitude. He probably recouses some of his value and becomes a more tradable dynasty league commodity at some point in the first half of the season. I'm a little skeptical of him until I see those adjustments because he looked really, really bad uh, in the fall league. Um, and then you look at other options. I mean, Corey Ray is probably a full year away. He was their first rounder uh, in the June draft. But I'm, I'm really excited about what Corey Ray might bring to the table, too, uh, as a guy at Louisville that was just outstanding. He looks very, very positive for sure. I completely agree with you there. And, again, that's a guy who's a little bit further off, but uh, that they're they're planning for. They So here's the thing. You know, we, we hear Ryan Braun trade rumors all the time. 
um, when they do get to a point where they're ready to trade him, it's because they know that they're, they're, they're eye, probably eyeing Santana, Brinson, Ray as their outfield of the future of a team that they think can compete. Again, probably starting in 19, you know, with, with this year being whatever, next year, hopefully a building year and then pop. Ray could be really interesting. So for dynasty leaguers, you already know about Ray, but if, you, if he's not on your team, he could be someone you might be interested in trading for. Ison Diaz, I think is another guy in that same realm who's, you know, just in high A, I think right now that you might want to go get, um, because he could be a good future middle infielder type. And it could be, it could be Arcia and VR and Diaz and the infield there with hopefully Thames. Ho- hopefully Thames is ready to be a beast for the next three years for them. Uh, let's talk pitching. Josh Hader, Jorge Lopez are probably the two guys that are likely to kind of come up and potentially make an impact this year. Luis Ortiz, you know, anytime you're in double A these days, you're not that far away. You could, you could be ready to make, make your debut this, this year as well. So I, I'll include him as well. How do you feel about about the pitchers that they have possibly on the rise? You, you mentioned that you're done with with Matt Garza, not just for his off the field, but but only you know because of his on the field stuff. And we talked about the sketchiness of even uh, Peralta and Nelson so, and Chase Anderson. So, you see anything out of Hader or uh, or Lopez that you like? Yeah, Hader for sure. I mean, Hader might be a number two starter in the long run. I think that's his ceiling. And you know, if he's only a three, he might be the kind of number three that gets us a lot of strikeouts. So. Uh, definitely a guy that I think is going to break through this year. They gave him 69 innings at Colorado Springs last year. The numbers, of course, were bad. 522 ERA, 143 whip, but he had 88 Ks in 69 innings. I think his control issues were the result of, of nibbling a bit. Uh, he's never really had bad walk rates like that in the past. That's kind of an outlier uh, when you look back at his, his track record uh, at AA and even at high A. So I think Josh Hader is legit, and it may only be six to eight weeks after the team starts before he's up. Uh, Jorge Lopez, I mean, got the the full experience at Colorado Springs last year. He looked so good at the end of 2015, too. Looked like he was on the, the brink of, of making a name for himself in the back of the rotation. I think it's got to be a deep NL-only league in the reserve rounds to take that chance, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. give up on him because he couldn't figure out Colorado Springs last year. Uh, he went to AA for a little while, kind of got back on track, Still didn't have the kind of dominant numbers we saw from him back in 2015 at that level, but I wouldn't completely forget about him. They have a few other guys. You mentioned Luis Ortiz. I don't think he's that far away because he's the kind of pitching prospect who has a lot of injury risk baked in, uh, in part because of his delivery. His build is, is what you want from a starting pitcher. He's a tank. I mean, and that's... Oh, he's a, he's a total beast. So... Uh, he's like 6'3", like 230. Like he... If if he can hold up, the the innings will be eaten as well as those tacos that Brett Phillips wants to eat. I know Phillips and Ortiz are going to be like taco buddies. There's no no doubt in my <laughs> mind about that. Uh, so I, I do like Ortiz, the guy that could get a late season call up, maybe more of a, a guy you're still getting excited about for 2018 and beyond. They have a guy named Brandon Woodruff who was at Double A last year, had a big breakout, 301 ERA, 124 Ks and 113 innings. I could see him getting a shot, maybe even a little ahead of Ortiz. Uh, he's not really a, a big-name prospect. I think he's outside our top 150 that James Anderson puts out on Rotowire. And they got Phil Bickford, too, a guy who was in the Giants system, just got suspended again. The Will Smith deal, right? It was it was Susek and Bick, Bickford that came over for Will Smith, and, and he's a former first-rounder, yeah? Yeah, he is. And uh, he was suspended 50 games for the second time due to testing positive for a drug of abuse. Maybe he should have been traded to Colorado. 
that would be a great landing spot for Phil Bickford. However, I'm happy he's in the Brewers organization because I think he's a really talented guy. I just wonder if they're going to have to uh, pull like a Jeremy Jeffers. Jeremy and, Jeffers, and, yeah. And he, like add him to the 40 man and just protect him from more minor league drug suspensions. I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the future holds for him. He hasn't pitched a double A yet, so he's probably not getting up uh, until September at the very earliest. They have a lot of pitching prospects, but the problem is the guys who are the closest are the guys that were uh, kind of lukewarm on in, in the shorter term, with the exception of Hater. It's kind of Hater or bust for this year if you're going to go after mm-hmm. one of their pitching prospects. Okay, I mean that that I think that all makes sense there. And like you said, they have some deeper guys. On the offensive side, too, Monty Harrison is somebody that uh, is, is generating some excitement. Mauricio Dubon is a guy they got in the Tyler Thornburg deal. They got a lot of middle infielders, too, and, of course, they're not all going to play shortstop because they're hoping R.C. is the guy, but th- they're doing it the right way. First off, you, you want to stack tons of pitching because a lot of it's going to fail, and you want to get tons of middle infielders because then they move down the defensive spectrum. It's a lot easier to move them to third, second, outfield, all that sort of stuff. So I think what they're doing is is definitely correct. I, you as a Brewers fan, I imagine that you're excited about the, the management that's in charge with David Stearns and company because I think this is a team, even in a dastardly division, that is going to be very tough to compete in with the Cardinals always being good. The Cubs probably looking like they're they're about to do a, a just a reign of terror. Uh Pittsburgh, a very savvy organization themselves. You got three teams there and you know I'm I'm giving short shrift to the Reds, but I don't think that they're really something that, that the Brewers have to look out for. I think they're the Brewers are ahead of them. But you've got to be pretty happy with the way it's going, even despite being in a tough division, yeah? Yeah, you got a good owner and Mark Atanasio, a very smart front office led by David Stearns and a really nice farm system already that may get even better if they do in fact flip Ryan Braun at some point here in the, the near future. One other prospect I didn't mention before with the hitters for Dynasty Leagues. Uh, Lucas Ersig is a guy they took, uh, I think, in the second round last year, and he's just crushing the low minors. you got to wait and see what he does at AA, but he's a really interesting player. Uh, didn't uh, stick. I think he went to Cal and actually had to drop out, so he had to go to Juco, and mm-hmm. he had the talent to be at Cal. He just didn't quite have the off-field stuff put together. It was really more of like a maturity issue. I don't think he committed any crimes or anything like that. It was just uh, a, a weird family situation growing up and really interesting dynasty league prospect lucas ersig i would try to stash him away in multi-year keeper leagues if you can e-r-c-e-g derek really appreciate you being on uh to talk brewers with with me what do you guys got going on coming up at rotowire oh we got a little bit of everything a lot of articles have launched for the season of course our projections draft software all that stuff is up Uh, the magazine is out as well so people can order a copy rotowire.com slash magazine uh, and of course, uh, Sirius XM, our radio show, 11 to 2 Eastern, Monday through Friday, and uh, noon to 2 Central, so 1 to 3 Eastern on Saturdays. So we're uh, we're kind of everywhere right now. Fantastic! I I love the radio show. Of course, everyone knows that I, I worked for Rotowire. Uh, you guys were always brilliant to me. I contributed to the magazine this year, so very friendly with Rotowire. You guys are doing amazing work. Keep it up. Uh, Derek, I'll have you on again sometime in season just to talk general baseball, but I appreciate you giving us the, the Brewers rundown today. Oh, sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Paul. No problem. Take care. You too.